Good morning. How are you guys doing? That was kind of quiet for a minute. Um, hey, it's really good to be with you guys down here at uh, RCC. Uh, if we've never met before, my name is Gavin. I'm uh, a lead pastor up at Woodstock City in North Atlanta. And a uh, huge fan of you guys, though. Love coming down and uh, hanging out with Paul and uh, seeing you guys every few months. And so I'm glad to be back today. Um, I'm not glad that it rained for the last seven days. It's unbelievable, man. So, uh, But hopefully that will pass on through uh, here shortly. And a uh, huge welcome to everybody at Blountstown, too, and Shipley, Fairhope. Love that you guys are doing this now. Um, I was asking. Paul yesterday, I was like, so how long has kind of Fairhope been a, been a part of this thing now? Like, you know, two or three months? He was like, no, like a year or seven or eight months. I mean, it's been a long time. And so, man, it's cool to have you guys here. Of course, everybody here in uh, Mariana and Wakala too. So uh, welcome to RCC, man. We're excited to kind of begin this brand new conversation we're calling Good to Know. Um, here's kind of what we're hoping is that at the end of each day uh, during this Good to Know conversation, you'll be able to walk out and say, wow, that was really good to know. Now, the, the cool thing about church here is um, uh, sometimes we get to tell you things that are really good to know, but then you get to decide if you want to do it or not. So we're, we're going to tell you some things that are good to know, and then you get to decide if you care or not and get to try it or not. So today's going to be one of those days. We're going to talk about something that we think is really good to know, and it's really my hope that you walk out of here today going, wow, man, that was really helpful. That's, that's really good to know, and it's going to make my life a little bit better because I was here. So um, uh, we're, we're going to kind of get into the conversation really. I guess talking about Christmas because, you know, whether you've realized it or not, it's December. So it's unbelievable how time uh, goes so fast, right? Time flies when you're having fun. It also, though, flies when you're not having fun. And so time just goes quick. Do you remember when you were a kid uh, and it was Christmas? It felt like time crawled, didn't it? Like, remember Christmas Eve night? I mean, it was like a year-long night waiting for Christmas to come. But when you get older like we are now, like I am now, man, it feels like yesterday was summer, like, I feel like my kids were uh, home for, for, for summer break, but they were literally just out of school, and now it's already Christmas. It's really incredible, and, but I'm glad it's December, and I'm glad it's Christmas, because I love a lot of things about Christmas. I don't know if you love Christmas. Christmas is such a fun time of year. I, I love so much about Christmas. I, um, I love how companies do special treats during Christmas season. Uh, I love to go to Starbucks during Christmas because they have the red Starbucks cups. They, they still often burn my coffee, but it's cool because they have the red cups. It makes it taste a little better in the red cups. Um, I, I think I've mentioned before, my favorite restaurant is Chick-fil-A, and uh, during the um, holiday season, uh, they have these special special peppermint chocolate chip milkshakes. Like it is worth driving to your nearest Chick-fil-A. How far away is that? 45 minutes, it's worth it. Like it is worth a 45 minute drive to get there. And some of you at other locations, maybe you're closer. So, you know, right. So we won't, we won't be jealous of you, but like, I mean, really it's incredible, man. Peppermint chocolate chip. I mean, there's so much to love about Christmas. I even love the decorations of Christmas uh, in my neighborhood. It seems like everybody tries to one up each other. Like everybody wants to be better. Um, and a lot of people don't even have a theme in their front yard. Like their theme is random. They just have like all of these weird blow up things. Like my neighbor has a blow up ice slide with minions sliding down it. I mean, I don't even know why we have that. Like who, who decided to make that for Christmas? But he has it and he's got that along with a bunch of other stuff. We have some lights that are going up. Um, in fact, this weekend, uh, my wife, cause I can't be there this weekend. So I got all this stuff out and said, oh, I'm so glad I got it out for you. Hopefully it'll be up when I get home, you know? So, so she's working on that. I do hate the decorating part, but, but I love the decorations when they're up. Um, there's a lot to love about Christmas, but I think the thing I love the most is the Christmas music. Now, some of you are like Christmas music people and you start listening in July, that's weird, you should not do that. But 
I love December Christmas music. In fact, our kids want to listen early, and we go, nope, like, we have to wait till December the 1st. Like, December the 1st is Christmas music season, because if we wait till December, it makes it special. And sometimes people try to create new Christmas music, but you've heard the new music. It's not that great, right? It's the old, tried-and-true Christmas songs, man. Like, I love it. I don't know if it's part of my childhood. I don't know why. Like, I love the old Christmas music, but it's so good. Like, I love listening to Christmas music. Um, now, not, not all Christmas music, if I really want to be transparent for a minute. Some of the Christmas music, even the old Christmas music, some of it's a little bad. Like, there are some songs that never should have ever been written. Let me give you one example. This is like the worst one I think ever. You ready? You know this song? On the first day of the Christmas, worst Christmas my song ever made. To me a in a I mean, this is like the 12 days of Christmas. The song is 28 minutes long. Like, it is the worst song, man. I, every time they, I mean, that is like the 99 bottles of eggnog on the wall Christmas song. That's what that song is, right? Like, it goes on forever. So we never, we never do that at our church. Um, now, there's another song that I thought was interesting. I used to like it when I was a kid, and I get older, and I realized, oh, wait, this is a really scary song for children. Um, th- this, is, this is the one I never play for our kids. You know this one already? Grandma got run over by a reindeer. That is a scary song. I mean, think about that for a minute, right? Like, hey, kids, it's Christmas. Your grandma may die, but but be excited because it'll be a reindeer. I mean, like, it's a weird song, right? Um, but it's really the traditional songs I really do like the most. Um, in fact, this is, I think, my absolute favorite one. In fact, growing up as a kid... Uh, the church I grew up in, I felt like we had a big piano that sounded just like that. You guys recognize that? Silent Night? Like, I, I love that song, Silent Night, because it's just so peaceful, right? Like, there's so much about that song, it just makes me want to, like, have a, a cup of coffee, maybe, from Starbucks that's burnt in the red cup and, and, and sit in front of a fire and, and just listen to it. It's so peaceful, like, the idea of a silent night, you know, on Christmas. I mean, there's something about that that is just so beautiful. Um, I, I remember as a child growing up, we would go to church, and uh, we went all the time, but on uh, Christmas Eve, we would always go, and we had, like, a special Christmas Eve service. And there was this one guy who was... Uh, it was really tall, I remember. Um, I mean, I was really little, so maybe he was my, my height. I don't know, but I, rem- I remember him being like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, you know, and this really deep voice, and he would sing Silent Night to end the Christmas Eve service every year. And we would all hold candles at the Christmas Eve service. And I remember even as a kid thinking, this doesn't feel safe, like giving a seven-year-old a flaming torch of hot wax, like to drip on themselves. And we always had these little paper circles Yet it never protected my hand, and I was burnt every, every Christmas Eve. But I still loved it. Like, I loved hearing that, that song, Silent Night, holding that candle. And, and even now as an adult, I love that song. And I, I, think, I think I love the song now because I would, I would love for Christmas to be a little more silent. Like, I would love for it to feel a little bit more peaceful like, like the song kind of feels, you know? Like, I've got four kids, and so um, in my house, there's very little peace any day of the week, but, but much less around Christmas time. I mean, there's just so much to do. There's so much busyness. There's so much shopping. There's family. That's always complicated and noisy. Um, my kids are going to wake up really early. My, even though they're getting older, my, my youngest two are going to get up at three in the morning, and they're going to go down and undo some stockings and then they're going to go back to sleep and then wake me up at 7 or 6 30 and they're like hey it's time to get up man it's christmas you know and i'm like no silent night you know the song silent night and but you know what's interesting about the song silent night is is that it's actually very ironic 
And, and, and I don't mean like ironic in the fact that there's nothing about Christmas that's silent. I mean, that's true now too, right? But the song Silent Night is really ironic because if we could go back 2,000 years to that very first Christmas, it was incredibly silent. It, it, it wasn't just like a silent night. In fact, it had been a season of silent nights. In fact, Christmas actually interrupts a season of God's silence. Christmas interrupts this season of God's silence. When you open up like the, the, the pages of the Bible and you look at the Old Testament, God is speaking all the time, right? Like when you look at the Hebrew scriptures, he's speaking to Moses through a burning bush and then he speaks to the kings and then later you see him speaking to all of these prophets and, 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 and he's talking to all of these people uh, and he's he kind of talking through these people and you, you look at Jeremiah, and you look at uh, Joel, and you look at Daniel, and then even this guy named Malachi. Malachi is one of those prophets that God spoke through. And then at the end of God speaking through Malachi, the weirdest thing happened. God, he actually just went completely silent. He, he just went really quiet. No, no more voice of God, no more prophets from God, no more scriptures from God, just complete silence. And it wasn't like he was silent for a couple of days or, or for a couple of weeks. He, he wasn't even silent for a generation. He, he was silent for 400 years. I mean, think about that for a minute. Like God has been speaking frequently through all these prophets and he's been you know, talking about the future and talking even about this coming change in the world that he's gonna bring through the Messiah. And then he goes quiet for 400 years. I mean, to put that in perspective, I mean, th this country we're living in, the United States of America, we've only been a country for a little over 200 years. And God went silent for 400 years. 400 years. That's not just one generation. It's not just two generations. I mean, it's generation after generation after generation of God not showing up, of God not saying anything of God not stepping in and intervening. And if you could go back to that moment, it wasn't like things were going well for Israel. I mean, in fact, Israel had been divided into two different nations. They had been uh, overtaken by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. I mean, there was a lot of chaos, a lot of trauma, a lot of need for God to speak. In fact, a lot of need for God to do even more than just speak. Need for God to change things, to intervene, to, to alter circumstances and situations. And, and God is just completely quiet for 400 years. And to make things worse, to make things worse, <laughs> there was a prophecy that they were all waiting on. Isaiah, the prophet, about 750 BC, uh, God prophesied through Isaiah and told them that something dramatic was going to happen in their world, in their midst, in time. They didn't know when, but they were waiting for this sign to happen. You've probably heard this passage before. It's in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? It, it means God with us. Like God, not just for us, but God literally, physically with you, with us. And when Israel heard this prophecy, they, they got excited because they needed God with them, because things weren't going well. But they needed God to intervene, and they were waiting, and they were looking for that sign. It, it's hard to imagine what it would look like to live for 400 years waiting on that. 
Can you imagine living 400 years, hearing your grandparents talk about this sign, Emmanuel, God with us, God is going to do something, and you're looking around going, well, he doesn't seem to be doing anything. Because it's been a long time, granddad. Like, it's been a long time, grandma. He hasn't done anything. And then you become the grandfather telling. You become the grandmother telling your grandkids. And now they're looking at you going, really? Because great-great-grandma said the same thing. It's been a long time. It's really hard to appreciate this. I mean, we open up our Bible, we open up the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and we get to Malachi and we turn the page and it's Christmas, right? Like we go from here comes Jesus to here's Jesus in one page. But that one page represents 400 years of God being quiet, of God being completely silent, which really kind of begs the question like, where was God for 400 years? Like, like, what was God doing for 400 years? I mean, did he just check out? Did he take a nap? Like, did he decide to maybe renege on the offer? Did he decide, you know what, Israel, you're, you're not listening to me anyway, so good luck for 400 years. Let's just see how it goes on your own. Like, like what was he doing? Why did he give Israel the silent treatment for 400 years? That, that's an important question to answer, and here's why. Because just like Israel... Just like Israel, we have felt God's silence, right? Like some of you have felt God's silence in your life in the past. Some of you feel like you're in the middle of a 400 years of silence right now. It's important to consider why God went quiet. Because think about how often in our life God does seem distant. And God does seem like he's really quiet. I mean, I don't know, for you, maybe it's like a dating thing. Like, like you have been working so hard to become the person you're looking for is looking for. Like you've been working so hard to be a better person yourself because you want to be ready when you meet that, the one that you'll be ready and they'll be ready and it'll be perfect. And you have been waiting and waiting and you have been praying and praying and God is just seemingly completely silent. He's so absent. Or, or maybe this is like you're in your marriage. And you've been praying, man, that God would, would intervene in the situation, that God would heal something, he would forgive something, he would change your heart, or maybe he would change your spouse's heart, and you've been praying and praying and praying, and God just doesn't seem to be answering. He just seems to be so quiet. Or, or maybe it's in a financial situation, or maybe it's a health situation for you, you've been praying and praying, and God, it just seems like he's so quiet. Maybe it's a career thing. Uh, maybe you're even here today because you feel like you're in a season of silence and you have been waiting and you have been praying and God just isn't answering. And it's almost like he's not even paying attention. It's almost as if he is asleep at the wheel. He has taken a nap. He does not care at all. I mean, Emmanuel, God with us, you're like, nah, I'm not so sure anymore. Because if God was with me, things would be different for me. But he doesn't seem to be with me because look how bad things are for me. I mean, in fact, maybe you're here today because you have been waiting and waiting and waiting and God hasn't shown up yet. And maybe you thought, if I come to church today, maybe that will help twist his arm. Like maybe if I just lean in his direction a little bit more, maybe he'll finally listen to me. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe it's my fault that God is so quiet. See, here's the problem with God's silence. It's gonna happen to all of us. And it may not happen for 400 years to some of us, right? But it's gonna feel like 400 years. Like, what do we do when, when God just feels silent? The problem is that silence can be really devastating, too. I mean, not devastating in the fact that God isn't changing things, but, you know, when something happens on Monday and we pray on Tuesday, if God hasn't acted by Wednesday, we often take matters into our own hands on Thursday, right? 
And, and when we begin to take matters into our own hands, it doesn't often go as well as we would like. But sometimes that feels better than waiting on God. It feels better that at least we're making progress, we're doing something while God's doing nothing. Like, like what is he doing when he's so quiet? You know, what's so interesting is that when you study a little bit more around those 400 years, you realize that there was something happening. In fact, what if God really is doing something when he's quiet? Like, what if he's actually up to something behind the scenes? Hey, have you ever been to a play before and they open the curtain and there's a set behind the curtain? And, and then eventually they close the curtain. And maybe there's even actors in front of the curtain, they're doing something. And, and, and it seems kind of quiet backstage. And then eventually they open the curtain and the set is completely different. And you didn't hear it happening, you didn't even see it happening, but it, but it happened. And it took a few minutes. Like what if God is kind of like that? Like, like what if when the curtain closes, it feels really quiet? What if he's up to something? You, you know how hindsight's kind of always 20-20, you know? Like there's always great insight when you have hindsight. Well, the Apostle Paul had that, right? The Apostle Paul didn't live through the 400 years of silence. He spent the majority of his life on the other side of the birth of Jesus. And eventually he, he came, you know, left his mercenary job where he was arresting and killing Christians and he became the greatest missionary of all time. And, and when he was planting churches, he wrote letters to these churches. And in some of the letters, he actually talked about this 400 years of silence. He didn't call it that. But in hindsight, he looked back and realized that even though God was quiet, it didn't mean that he was absent. And even though that he was silent, it didn't mean that he wasn't paying attention. He was actually doing something. In the letter that he wrote to the Christians in the churches in the city of Galatia, he, he actually talked about it. Here's kind of what he said. This is just one verse. He said, but when the set time had fully come, that's an important word. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son. And what Paul is almost indicating here is that, that God was up to something. Like, like God had a plan. God was being strategic. He was thinking through it. The, the curtain had closed and it felt like God was being really silent. But behind the curtain, God was doing something really dramatic. In fact, if you go back and study those 400 years, it was quiet. But it wasn't quiet in the world. There was a lot of things happening in the world. And there are probably hundreds of things, but can I just show you three really interesting but important things that happened during those, three, those, those 400 years? Here's the first one. Um, there was a common language that was established all over the entire world. It was the first time that it ever happened. Alexander the Great, during the early part of the 400 years, Alexander the Great conquered the entire known world. And one of the things that Alexander believed is that as he would conquer new kingdoms, new nations, and incorporate them into the empire, that one thing that would help build unity was a common language. And so they instituted Kanoia Greek as a common language. In fact, it was called the Greek for everyone. Everybody's, every, the everyday man's Greek. And so everyone learned Greek. So therefore, in this 400 years, there was a common language for everyone. Another thing that happened is Roman peace. Like all nations kind of go away, Alexander the Great's empire fell away and gave way to the Roman Empire. But when the Roman Empire rose to power, they brought in a, a, a moment of peace that really had never existed on this level before. Across the known world, everybody wasn't getting along, but there wasn't battles and wars being waged all the time. Meaning that you could travel around the known world relatively safely without fear of a war breaking out where you were. 
In fact, another thing that Rome did during these 400 years is build an entire roadway system through this known world that was relatively peaceful. Now, here's what's so interesting to me about those 400 years. See, it seems like God is quiet, but think about the implications of those things on Christmas. For instance, this, this common language. Did you know that all of the New Testament was written in one language? You know what language it was written in? Kenoria Greek. Do you know why Paul wrote his letters in Greek? Do you know why Luke and Matthew and John wrote their gospels in Greek? Do you know why? Because everybody could understand it. Because everybody in the known world could read it and hear it and understand the language. How about Roman peace? It would have been absolutely impossible for the message of Jesus to spread across the known world before Roman peace. But with Roman peace gave the opportunity for movement and freedom. It gave the opportunity to travel without fear of your life, at least on the level that it used to be. And then not to mention the, the roadway system. The roadway system itself created the possibility for the message of Jesus to travel. I mean, here's a real reality. It could be that all of those are coincidental. It could be that all of those things have nothing to do with what God was doing during the 400 years. Or, or it could be that Alexander the Great and the Roman Empire were instruments that God was using to set the stage for the most dramatic thing he was ever going to do. See, here's the real reality. I mean, the purpose of Jesus was to save the world, right? But the message of Jesus was virtually impossible to spread around the world at the close of Malachi. And it took some time. It took 400 years of time. But when the set time had fully come, God decided to intervene and send his son. Because everything was finally ready. Not coincidentally, I don't believe. I think God was doing it the whole time. And see, what was true for Israel is also true for you and for me too. Because there are going to be seasons in our life where God feels silent. There are going to be seasons in our life where we don't know where God is at. And there are going to be seasons when we begin to even maybe lose faith or begin to lose trust because we're not sure where he's at. We don't know why he's not intervening. We don't know why God is being so quiet because we are praying and we're going to church. We're doing all the things we think we're supposed to do and it doesn't seem to be moving God at all. But, but here's the beauty of Christmas. Here's something that's really good to know. The Christmas story is proof of God's presence. And the Christmas story is proof that we can trust God even when he feels absent. You see, what is God doing in your silence? And maybe this is true for you right now, or maybe it's coming. But when God is silent, what is he actually doing in the silence? What is he doing in your life? What is he doing in the lives of people around you in your silence? What is he doing even in the world around you when he feels silent? And maybe even a more important question, how, how should I respond during God's silence? If you could have been a part of Israel's 400 years of silence, my guess is that there were some people who responded really, really well to that. My guess is too that a lot of people didn't. There's probably a lot of people in Israel a few years, maybe a few days, weeks into the silence that began to walk away, that began to question God, that began to lose faith, that began to lose trust. But, but, but not everybody. There were some people who, who kept faith, who kept trust. 
There were some people who realized that while the curtain was closed for the moment, it probably wouldn't be closed forever because they believed that God was a God who would keep his promises. And when God said, one day I will send Emmanuel, God, with you, they believed that he actually was going to do that. And he may not do it on their timetable, and he may not do it when they wished that he would do it, but they still believed that he would do it. And that's really the the story of Christmas. Christmas comes on the heels of 400 years of silence, because Christmas is proof that God can be trusted, even when God feels like he's absent. Christmas is proof that God can be trusted even when he feels like he is silent. Like, I think this is the message of Christmas, that that when you hear God's silence and you begin to feel his absence, you can absolutely trust in God's presence. When when you hear God's silence, and, and we will, and when you begin to feel that he is absent, and we will, the message of Christmas is that we can absolutely trust in his presence. Because even when he feels silent, he's not quiet. And even when he feels absent, he's still there. He's just working behind the scenes. He's just working behind your story. He's setting some things up. He's doing some things that may not feel active to you, but it's incredibly active around you. The message of Christmas is that we can trust, that God is trustworthy that he will always keep his promises. So maybe for you it is a relational thing. And maybe God feels really silent right now. Maybe it is that dating thing. And you don't know when he's ever gonna come through. And you're almost at a point where you are just tired of waiting on him and you're gonna take matters into your own hands. The message of Christmas is that you don't have to do that. You can wait. Because even though God is quiet, doesn't mean he's not paying attention. Maybe it is a marriage thing and and you're, you're ready to walk away, or maybe you have walked away, and you're ready to just end the whole thing. But the message of Christmas is that God can still be trusted even though he feels quiet. He's there. He is still Emmanuel, God, with you. Your career feels like it's going nowhere. You just want to take matters into your own hands. You could do that, and maybe it will work out, maybe. Or, or maybe you can wait a little bit more on God and trust that even though he's being quiet right now, it doesn't mean he's absent. It doesn't mean he's not paying attention. You see, when we begin to take matters into our own hands, we begin to remove the matter from God's hand. And I don't know about you, but every time I have removed it from God's hand, it never worked out as well for me. So what would it look like to be a little more trustworthy? Well, what does it look like to fully believe and trust in God's promises even when he doesn't seem to be paying attention, knowing that he actually, he actually is. That's the, the message of Christmas. You see, perfect faith is not the kind of faith that moves God. I think sometimes we kind of believe that, that if our faith is good enough, if we do the right things enough, that we'll move God, like we'll twist God's arm, that he'll finally give in, say uncle, and do what we've been asking. That's not what perfect faith is. See, here's what perfect faith is. Perfect faith is the kind of faith that moves us, not moves God. It moves us to trust God, even when God doesn't seem to be moving. And that's actually the story of Christmas, that we can trust God. And even when he doesn't seem to be moving, he's moving. And even when it doesn't seem to be intervening, he is actually setting something up. So, so what would change in your life? Can you just imagine for a second? What would change in your life? if you really began to trust in God's presence? Like, like what would change in your heart and your spirit and your soul 
What would change in your hope? What would change in your peace if you actually began to believe that God was paying attention? And just because God was silent and just because he feel, feels absent doesn't mean he's not Emmanuel, God with you. So here's what I believe. I, I believe if God can be trusted with 400 years of Israel science, silence, I, I think he can be trusted in your silent night as well. And that song, Silent Night, is a little bit ironic, isn't it? Because sometimes God really does feel silent. But, but don't ever mistake God's silence for his absence. Because even when God is quiet, he is active. And he is paying attention. And he is still God. And he is still for you. And he still loves you. And he still wants the best for you. And you know what? <laughs> That's actually really good to know. Because we're all going to experience seasons of silence. And it's good to know God loves us that much, even when it feels like he's checked out for a second. Hey, can I pray for you guys before we leave? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for really the message of hope that Christmas brings. And it is so easy, it's so easy to experience moments of silence and just assume that you aren't paying attention. God, we, we look around the world and there's so much going on and we, we wonder, where are you? Why are you not intervening? Why are you not changing? And we look even at our own worlds, we look at our own lives and we wonder, God, why are you not intervening? Why are you not shifting the circumstance? Why are you not changing the, the, the situation? And God, it's so easy to lose faith and take matters into our own hands and begin to believe that maybe you really aren't even God. Maybe this whole thing is made up, this whole thing is a myth. But, but God, here's what we know. Christmas is absolutely proof that you are present. And it is proof that even when things feel silent, you're not absent. So God, I pray, maybe more than anything, that when we feel like you are not answering us, that you will allow us to maintain faith and maintain hope and maintain trust. Because it is easy to fall away from that when we feel like you aren't beside us. But God, I pray we will always know that you are present even when you seem to be a little quiet. We know that you are for us and you are working behind the scenes to make all things new. So God, just give us the patience for that. Give us the faith for that. And God, I just pray that we'll be able to maintain that faith in a way that we get to see you come to fruition, just like you did on the heels of Malachi 400 years later. God, we love you. And Jesus, we just pray this in your name. Amen.